Hi, my name is Deborah Ogden and I would like to welcome you to On Brand With. Through this podcast, I want to bring you into my world of personal brand and impact and hopefully bring it to life through the experiences of me and my guests. Over the coming episodes, I will talk to a range of people I know and admire and ask them about the different ways they use their personal brand, the positive benefits it can bring and what best practice looks like in the real world. My guest today is Sarah Dransfield. She's my youngest guest so far, but boy, has she packed plenty into her 25 years. Now, when Sarah was just 17, she was diagnosed with bone cancer and after gruelling treatment and a life-saving operation, she had to have her leg amputated just above her knee. Now, as you can imagine, and as you will hear from the conversation, there have been some very dark days, but Sarah is a true survivor and a complete inspiration. In her home just outside Homeforth in West Yorkshire, she lives an incredibly full life. She is an ambassador for the Laura Crane Youth Cancer Trust. She works for the family business, the Marston's Chicken Shop, which if you live around the Huddersfield area, it is an incredibly well-known household name. And Sarah also models for the Zebedee Modelling Agency, who provide models with disabilities to some very big brands. And that's where I started the conversation, because only last week, Sarah's image appeared on the glossy pages of Italian Vogue. And I started by asking her, in those dark days, when she was in a hospital bed, could she ever have imagined that her photograph would appear in one of the most famous magazines in the world? Yeah, it was really out of the blue, actually, and so exciting at the same time. Um I had a photo shoot a few weeks ago in Sheffield um, with my management and I think they just sent photos out there spreading, I don't know, awareness and, you know, so people can see disability and I was really shocked that obviously Italian Vogue picked it up and um, I now feature in that this month, I think it must be November's edition. Yeah. So very exciting and never in a million years did I think I'd feature in Vogue. So yeah, wow. quite overwhelming. Yeah. So have you got your copy? Oh, not not yet, but I have ordered it. Can't wait to see it in person. I've just seen pictures through Instagram and online at the minute, so can't wait to get my copy through the post. So where will you keep it? Will you be framing it somewhere in the house? I think my mum might be framing it, actually, yeah. She'll probably have it up somewhere. <laughs> it's an incredibly powerful picture, though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, incredi- it's a stunning picture, but it's really quite arresting, the, yeah. the uh, composition of it. It's fabulous. Yeah. So, so you've hit on something there that you're never in a million years. And I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, the High Performance uh, podcast with Jake Humphreys, and they were interviewing Billy Munger, the... Um, Grand Prix driver that's a double amputee and he was saying like you he's just got so much positivity and so inspirational and he was saying that he always thinks about the silver lining and the positives that have come out of such a 
a dark situation and and I found that really quite hard to listen to but then I look at how much and we'll go we'll go back in a minute as to as to where it all started but how much you have packed into the is it seven years since your operation I can't know it's more than eight eight years since your operation and also how when you were laying in that hospital bed recovering and somebody had said one day you will appear in Italian Vogue, that must just blow your mind. Yeah, I would never have believed it, ever. I really, I didn't see a life, you know, after my amputation, let alone appearing in Vogue and all the other opportunities I've been able to do since. So, yeah. yeah. So I don't want to dwell on, on the operation, but it's such a mm. huge part of who you are and... It certainly hasn't defined you, has it? You've created so much. But one of the words that when I asked you for a a bio and I've heard you speak before and you inspired me so much. In fact, I'll share something with you now. (laughs) That's one of the most challenging um, speeches I've had to do. I do so much public speaking but to have to follow you on the oh. stage with your story. <laughs> yeah. And the whole room was just so um, caught up in your your story. It was a real, yeah. you're a really hard act to follow. Oh, um, but so take us back, take us back to what, age 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I was first diagnosed, um, I'd, I'd had pain in my knee for quite a few months, I think about three months at this point. And at that age, you never really think of the word, you never think of cancer. Um, I was quite lucky, I'd not really known anybody who'd had cancer. Um, And, you know, it was just a huge shock when I was diagnosed. Um, The awful part of it was really, my mum was actually driving um, along on her birthday when she got the phone call that that I had actually had cancer. So I don't know how she, I remember saying she was driving over Castle Hill and she doesn't remember how she got home after that yeah. um, awful phone call. So uh, it was a strange like turn of events and everything. But um, my mum and dad that day were supposed to be going off my mum's birthday and I was at college. But they texted me and they said they were picking me up, which I thought was strange. They never picked me up. Mm. I always went on the bus. So they picked me up that day. They took me to the hospital um, for an x-ray. At this point, they knew the bad news but they couldn't tell me. Um, They then took me to the doctors and said, you know, we're just going to go and speak about your knee and everything. At this point, I'd been having a lot of pain. Um, And you felt it was a a sprain, did you? And wasn't it the... Wasn't it a physio that picked up? Was it heat that they picked yeah, up? Yeah, my physio um, a few weeks prior to that had actually said it was... My knee was quite warm. Um, It had turned inwards. Um, It was actually um, Alan Young, my physio at the time. He... He sent me for the MRI scan that actually diagnosed me. And I think he had a feeling, he knew deep down there was something wrong. It wasn't just a sprain or anything. Mm. Um, so when it when it got to my diagnosis, I still didn't have a clue. Alan didn't let on anything. And then my mum and dad obviously knew at the time. And then when I was diagnosed, I just cried. I mm. thought, uh, I asked if I was going to die. I thought, with the word cancer, I thought that was it. Um, but yeah in one sentence I might be able to they might have been able to scrape the cancer off my knee and then another I might lose my leg I just I couldn't take it all in it was quite shocking and it was in the bone was it yeah it was in my bone so it's osteosarcoma um a form of bone cancer which is it generally um I don't know it 
it forms in the bone around the knee area mainly I mean some people can have had it in their arm and stuff but generally in your long long bones in your body so um I've I've got a few theories as to why it's come about and I've read a lot about it since and I think people generally tall people tend to get it and Is that right? yeah if you have a growth spurt and something goes a bit wrong mm. um one cell goes wrong then it can just go crazy so yeah, I think by the time I was diagnosed, um, I'd had the cancer six months, but only felt pain for three months. So it must have been growing for quite a while. So when you say you've done some, you know, you've got your theories and you've looked into it. Yeah. Is that something you've done in later years or is, is that something part of your personality that mm. if there's a problem, I'm going to look into it and find ways of fixing it? Yeah, I think part of it was I was it got me really interested in in this disease I guess um I, you know for young people to get it and healthy people and things and I just wanted to find out more I mean there's lots of people all over the world that have had it and um I think by just talking to people and researching it I've been able to find out more about it and understand it myself because I it's okay the doctor's telling me but I think I needed to process it and understand it as well and is that something are you still processing it all these years on? Yeah, probably. I think I'll always be, you know, mm. how come it happened to me? And a bit confused as to why it did. And there'll always be that there because I still don't know why it happened to me. But then I think I have come to terms with it a lot more because of the things that I've done since and the opportunities. I can't even imagine what I'd be doing now if I didn't have cancer. So Yeah, and I suppose that goes back to that. Gosh, I... For somebody sat on the other side to you, hearing you talk about positivities that come out of something so, so terrible. Mm. But um, so how quickly did you have to have your operation then? Was that a very swift turnaround? Um, no, not really. So I was diagnosed in the March and then um, I had to have chemotherapy, which we found out about. I had to go down to Birmingham for a biopsy it's where they specialize um down there so when I was down there they told me I was gonna have to have some really intense chemotherapy which I was also shocked about I never knew I'd be having chemo um for this cancer that I had so um yeah I was told all about that um I didn't know how I'd be able to cope with it but the biggest thing for me at that point was I was going to lose my hair Gosh, and yeah. yeah I just thought is there any way we could save my hair and the doctor just said no one with your treatment regimes ever kept their hair it's near enough impossible and, and um, as you know Claire Paxman yeah. has been a guest on the podcast mm -hmm. and was a great support to me and my mum when my mum was going through chemotherapy and I know that um, Paxman are now working with Laura Crane can come on to that but, yeah uh, and have come together and collaborated so that young people can have that support through it but it's yeah. not available to everybody is it no unfortunately it's not at the minute but I think what they are doing is amazing because it just lets the young person keep their identity and everything and Absolutely. If, if I had that choice at the time it'd have been amazing I think it'd have meant everything yeah it's brilliant yeah so as a 16 year old girl I mean, it would be hard. For, I think it's hard for anybody. I think it's the one thing. I know it was yeah. the one thing that my mum feared yeah. more than anything and anybody you talk to. But at 16, you, you, 
you're still learning about your identity, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think, you know, I'd always had this long hair and I think, I don't know if I hid behind it, but it's part of you and, you know, it's your style and things. So, of course it is, yeah. Yeah, so that was the biggest thing. I wasn't really worrying about the sickness or anything else that was to come with it, which did hit me really hard, but it was my hair. But it was really strange how that did change. So from I had my amputation in the July and it was March when I started my treatment. Um, by the time it got to July, I wasn't even thinking of my hair. It wasn't a priority anymore. It became more, it sounds a bit morbid, more of a life or death situation to, you know, whether to have the amputation or not. Um, so my hair suddenly became nothing. But at the time of diagnosis, it was everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I suppose that when you put it like that, it wasn't something that you had a choice in it was a life and death and therefore it was a fait accompli and it, it's about mm. dealing with that in yeah I would have thought a very short time was it yeah so I think I was told in late June so they told me they'd be able to replace my bone they thought they'd be able to replace my bone with metal um and be able to keep my leg but unfortunately the cancer had gotten so deep into my leg and in near veins and everything that um the, for their best chance of survival was amputation. Um, they didn't think it was possible um, to do the other operation. Um, but as soon as they told me I needed this amputation, I just said, I said, no, I can't. I just couldn't even, couldn't even think about it. Um, I had all my life ahead of me. You know, you imagine what your life will be like. And I just, I don't know, there was just nothing then. So, but I did speak to my nurse after who was like a specialist nurse who I, like become quite close to and she talked me around and she said you know you and I realized I do want to live so I had to go along with it I had to do it um but it it was between that conversation and the amputation it was probably a couple of weeks so then I was kind of stewing on it um and it got to the amputation and even my, like my dad and my mum they had to drive me down to Birmingham and they didn't they didn't even want to go down themselves they didn't want to take Gosh, me yeah. But they knew it was the right thing to do. Um, I didn't want to leave the house that day. It was an awful day. But I think that's where kind of the negativity ends, I guess. Because when I had my amputation, um, I went I went down to theatre kicking and screaming. It was it was awful. But the day after, I just I felt like something had I'd had a weight lifted. It was wow. a strange feeling. Yeah, virtually sense of relief, maybe. Yeah, a massive relief, and I think the tumour that was like consuming all my energy and everything that I ate was going towards that to grow that, I guess. That had now gone and that was out of my body. So my body could, you know, look after itself again, I guess. And I, I suppose you say that was the end of the negativity and, I, you know, I'm sure there were dark days oh, after yeah, there has, that. Yeah, definitely <laughs> yeah. there has been, But do yeah. you feel that that really was, was the point that you thought, okay, I can start to rebuild and... Yeah, I think so. I think... Um, what it was I was obviously so worried and all the anxiety over the amputation and everything that when after I'd had it I think I could think about more of the future like think forward rather than it had been I'd had my amputation um, it had been done and we could like yeah I guess think forward like look forward to what was to come however yeah it wasn't I'm not saying it was easy after it's been quite difficult you know but um, once that tumour had been removed and things I was able to like look forward yeah and and do you get do you get support 
from a psychological point of view uh, around looking forward to the future because certainly what eight years ago mm. I, I think mental well-being and mental health is something that we've talked about more over the last mm. decade maybe um yeah and quite often we we think about physical therapy don't we but in the past I'm not sure that there's always been that psychological therapy and do you mm. felt you had support and and help to get you to where you are now I don't feel I've had a lot of support I went before my amputation um in them few weeks after they told me I needed to have it done um I spoke to a couple of people my um there was meant to be someone that I did speak they were on they were on them um, sorry they what were they on maternity sorry mm. um and so I had to speak to this other lady and I didn't feel her techniques quite work for me. Okay. And uh, I may have only seen her a couple of times, but I really do feel I could have really benefited from speaking to someone and having that help. I think now that would be so different. But back then, I didn't feel I had much. I think what helped me the most um, was talking to family and friends, really. I don't feel I had that much support um, down that side of things. I don't know. So is that what's driven you? So one of, one of the amazing things that you do is um, you, you do you're an ambassador for the Laura Crane Youth Cancer Trust and and work with the wonderful Helen and Pam. Yeah, is that one of the things that drove you to do that so that you can be that you can show that empathy, mm -hmm. you can have that, and I'm sure your response will be everybody's case is different yeah. and everybody has their own experience, but being able to offer some kind of understanding, but some kind of hope for people. Yeah. That there is a, an amazing life yeah. ahead. Absolutely, yeah. Since, you know, since I've been through it all, I've really enjoyed helping other people because there's been numerous, like, young ladies that have gone through it and people put me in touch with them to help them. And I really enjoy it. I love helping them because I would have loved to have had that myself back then. Um there's been, you know, I'm talking to a young lady now and she's had to have an amputation. She's only 14. And for her family to be able to speak to me and see what I've done and things, I think it has really helped them. Yeah, you don't think of that. Well, I'm sort of thinking of you in the situation, but mm. actually as a parent, I'm thinking, my goodness, yeah. as a parent, it's the whole family. Yeah. Um, it impacts on all all of you in so many different ways doesn't it yeah it does it's I think it's a ripple it just obviously I don't know I always think it was probably harder for my mum and dad than it actually was for me because I knew what was I felt I knew what was going on and everything but gosh to, for it to be a child I can't imagine how they felt so yeah I think the people that I do help now it really helps the parents as much as the young people yeah so just moving forward a couple of years now yeah. the other person that I know has supported you so much and mm. is is always by your side is Phil your boyfriend mm. now I just find this fascinating that mm. in the midst of all this share how you met Phil yes <laughs> so um I had been pestering my mum for a little while that I wanted a boyfriend and after having cancer my confidence was low and I looked so different I'd put on weight uh, I did lose it again, but my hair was short. I didn't. I feel. I did feel like I'd lost my identity. I didn't feel like me. I felt like I knew me, but 
I wasn't happy with it. I wasn't, you know. Um, Can I just pause you there and just yeah. ask you something then? Because yeah. this is something that um, obviously in a very different context, yeah. quite often we talk about how we how we look mm. and people talk about, oh, we shouldn't judge books by covers. Mm. And, and But for me, the important thing about identity and how we look is the impact it has on ourselves and mm. our own performance and, and how we show up in life and yeah. for you you've had that with the loss of your hair mm. your leg mm. and and just that grueling grueling treatment mm. at what point are you able to realize that this isn't me this this isn't Sarah and I want to find the old Sarah yeah I think that was quite a long process because I felt like I had no choice with you know the change of my appearance and then trying to get it back at this stage, I thought, I can't get it back because I can't get my leg back. And that was me. Mm. Um, I think I've had to adapt and find like a new me um, now, which is very different. But um, it's been quite a journey along that along the way. Um, I do feel like me again now, but it has taken such a long time. And definitely just after my treatment, I felt like a million miles away. Um, I don't know what I... I it wasn't a great time to look back on pictures. I didn't, I don't look happy. Mm. Um, definitely not myself, but it has been a long process, but I feel I'm, I'm about there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, looking at you now, absolutely yeah. <laughs> glowing and Thank radiating you. health. Thank and, you. and so do you think it's helped you actually to be able to, y you look, so different as you say mm. that that virtually allows you to put that in a box and compartmentalize it and put that to one side yeah. and say that's sort of an old identity but actually this is me and I've developed into this new identity and yeah and that's where that confidence has come from yeah absolutely I do like to think that was the time you know I was still recovering and I think I needed that time to get myself back to being me really mm. yeah. so I do kind of you know that was a couple of years but that's kind of gone now and then yeah work on now and how I am going forward yeah so anyway I interrupted yeah, you there no, sorry <laughs> um but you were talking about you know you wanted a boyfriend yeah and uh your confidence was was low mm. so pick up the story there then so you'd been yeah. badgering your mum yeah so she said oh you know I think first day it's quite a big thing back then mum said why don't you apply for that and I thought oh gosh I don't know and this was on channel four was it yeah because I, I, yeah. I think I must be the wrong demographic I'm, I'm too old Sarah <laughs> yeah. to have been tuned in but first yeah. dates so yeah. I watched it last night actually yeah. it's still there on oh, uh, it is it's on a, a, a channel yeah channel four's a version of iPlayer I don't know what it is yeah yeah, yeah. So, so what happened there then yeah so um so eventually when I did apply and I got through the first time I um said to mum I said I can't go through with it so I declined the offer and then the second time I thought oh, I should really go for it so I did and obviously the second time I met Phil I think if I didn't if I did it the first time and before I turned the offer down I, I'd met someone else it'd have been so different it might not have worked yeah. you know so um we went to, I remember going to Manchester for a bit of an audition, um, but deep down I thought, I think they'll want me on the telly because it's a bit of a story. Mm. I think they'll want me, so I thought, you know. So um, I can't remember how many weeks went by, but in February uh, I went down to London 
they invited me down, did first dates, um, and yeah, walked into the restaurant. Uh, I went in first and sat down. I was trying to figure out which I'd prefer, if I prefer to be sat there or feel, I don't know, I don't know which one. Can I ask you, because I, I, I yeah. suppose I, I know a little bit of your story, but I yeah. know there's been times when you've wanted to cover up your leg oh, and yeah. not been so open. Mm. So was this in a time when, so how old would you have been at this point? Uh, 21. 21. So yeah. was this at, this at a time when you were quite open about your leg? Yeah, it was quite new to me. I think it had, I'd only um, had my leg on, I call it, get, I got my metal out. So I'd only yeah. have my metal out for a few months at this point. So it was new and it was quite scary to walk into the first day's restaurant knowing, you know, I've been filmed and I'm quite conscious how I walk. So like you could see me walking across and... Um, and yeah, I think part of me thought I want to go on there, find a boyfriend, but also part of me thought I want to show this, I want to show my leg to the world and, you know, show that it's all right. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, when he walked into the restaurant, I didn't know his name, I didn't know anything. And I think I froze. He came in and asked, oh, what's your name? I told him. I didn't even ask him his name. <laughs> <laughs> I was so nervous. Um, but Phil always describes... He remembers uh, seeing me walk to the table in front of him um, and seeing my leg. And the, I think it's just the way he is. It didn't bother him. Um, and he just got to know me. And then um, I think it shows on the episode, we have a bit of a joke about my leg. I think I'd make a bit of a joke and it breaks the ice a bit. Yeah, because you actually, but he, he yeah. says that beautiful line where he said, it's it's just your leg, it's not yeah. you. Or, we- Something, Something like that, like doesn't that. you? And I, I thought it was just such a simple phrase, but mm. when you're talking about identity, yeah, what a beautiful way of summing it up. Exactly, yeah. And I think ever since then, is you know, he's stuck to that because my leg has never bothered him, and I always worried that, you know, what, especially when I first had my amputation, I thought no one can love me. I can't, you know, how will I ever get a boyfriend? And to have been with him nearly four years now, and it. It doesn't change anything, yeah. So something else that um, I know about you is that you were a runner before before all this happened. Yeah. So when you talk about getting your metal out. Yeah. So have you been able to pick up back with your running again? Yeah, so that took me quite a few years. So um, I'm quite lucky I get my prosthetic on the NHS. Um, it's brilliant. I've now got one. That is, um, you plug it in on the night wow. and um, it's like a robot. It's like, it is like a robot in itself, I think. It's quite amazing. Um, is that, so how, how does it work? Do, do, does, is it, um, I mean, the technology must be advancing mm. all the time, is it? And, and is it programmed so they can advance the technology? How does that work? Yeah, so it is, it is programmed. I've actually got an app on my phone as well, which I can change settings on. Um, but you plug it in on a night, it's called a microprocessor. So it, it helps you to walk. So it uses, so instead of me using all my energy, mm-hmm. it uses some of its energy to help me walk. Wow. Um, it's quite complicated for me to even explain. I always think I can't even explain it. I just use it every day. I can't. <laughs> but it is, it is a brilliant piece of technology. Um, and I feel very lucky to have it. Um, but I, I can't run with this leg. I think if you really tried, you, you 
could but it's quite difficult it's not mm. made for running mm. um it has got settings on it though that you can apparently do skiing or snowboarding oh, wow. you haven't which, tried uh, that not yet. tried that yet i've, I've done <laughs> yet. S- yeah yeah i would love to <laughs> i think i will one day um but um so unfortunately yeah, i can't run on it so i've had to get a blade um and luckily i got a blade just in time uh, the nhs unfortunately aren't providing them anymore right, okay um but i've got my blade and um they'll upkeep it for me my socket and things uh but unfortunately for about a year it hasn't been fitting me so I've not been able to get out mm-hmm. it'd been ideal in lockdown really because I could have um got done out a and, few laps yeah exactly <laughs> um but I have got it you know it's fitting me again now I've got it fixed and everything so I can get out I just find it quite difficult in this weather with the you know slipping um the leaves and yeah. things but I'm hoping yeah to get out on it a lot more now um, and, and do you think you'll ever, will you ever run competitively? Will you have a go at doing distance runs? I don't know. Well, have you got ambitions from a sport yeah. point of view? Yeah, part. I feel like part of me has always wanted to do something like that. And the opportunity of maybe doing the Paralympics or something like that, that would like be amazing. I'd love to. I think it's just finding that opportunity. And because I always think maybe you've got to go to like a, disabled running special you know somewhere they specialize but apparently the best thing to do is just join like your local running club and take take it from there I guess but we have the Harriers locally don't we We have such a good running club exactly so I think it'd be brilliant maybe to even go down there and see what I can do but I think sprinting for me is the thing I'd love to do the most because I used to be fast sprinter so um if I could do that with my blade it'd be great that'd be a huge I would have thought that would be a huge step forward for you again with uh, from an identity point of view as well. Yeah, it would. It'd be great. I think, I, I don't know why I can just picture myself doing that, you know, I stood there on in this stadium, going to do this, I don't know, 100 metre race or something. Um, and yeah, I guess that'd just be another part of what, what I do really. So you've just t- touched on something there, um, you know, you, you picture yourself yeah. and, and visualisation and that's something that I work with clients with sometimes, whether it's, you know, standing on a stage and public speaking or yeah. whatever it may be, that mental rehearsal. And I just wonder, you know, you are so inspirational in the way you stand and you have this positivity, but we all have dark days Mm. and you must have some really challenging days do you have do you have tools that you use yourself to you know do you use gratitude what do you use to put yourself in such a positive place um I don't know obviously I do have bad days you think oh you know I think everyone does have bad days but one thing for me that is quite amazing is my mum is such a positive person um and I always think if I didn't have my mum I think it'd be really difficult to stay in this positive place because whatever day, if it's raining or miserable or awful, she's always smiling and she always manages to cheer me up. Um, I don't feel I know anyone else that's quite like that, you know. Um, So she really helps. Um, I think these days we have them and you kind of just get on with the day and then, you know, I don't know, I think maybe just going out, having a walk and sunny days like today and yesterday they just really help I think for me um getting well, you've out. got Paddy now as well got Paddy you? my dog so I like to go out and take him for a walk and get some fresh air I think that's really like really helped me um I'd like to think I've got loads of advice on that but I really can't think of what I do to keep positive so 
you mentioned your mum, but of course yeah. you've got this um, family heritage as well that <laughs> we haven't talked about. Yeah. But um, so your your granddad, who mm. I know sadly you lost this year, but mm. your, your granddad set up the Huddersfield Institution <laughs> that is uh, Marston's yeah. Chicken Shop. Yeah, it's quite amazing. Um, I guess that's something like I've always grown up with it. It's my mum and my auntie now own the shop and. It's something I've always known, but I also work there now. Um, and maybe one day, well, I think sooner rather than later with my mum and my auntie, um, get in the mid-50s now, wanting to go and enjoy themselves. I think they want to hand it down to us, younger generation, which is quite scary when I know how many people quite enjoy the chicken and things. It's quite a bit of pressure, I think. But um, I'd, I love working there to think, you know, it's my family heritage and my granddad my grandma and granddad like they were my best friends and I'd love to think that I could carry on carry that on for them they would be so proud wouldn't they yeah they would um it's yeah my granddad would be so proud and everything that I have been through they were there for me and they were they were my rock as well so I'd love to be able to carry the shop on and everything for them you must be so proud that um, because it really is. I'm, I'm from outside the area, mm. and there are two names that uh, Dixon's <laughs> yeah. Ice Cream, yeah. and Marston's Chicken. Yeah, it's crazy. I know. I've, I go to other towns, and I think I don't know if they have the same kind of thing in different towns, but it doesn't sound like they do. I think we're quite lucky here. But um, I've always had this dream. Me and my brother have always said, "Oh, it'd be great to have a Marston's and Dixon's like a, a destination <laughs> for Absolutely. people to come to." So. Yeah, well, there's a collaboration there's we idea. should be watching out <laughs> yeah. for, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You've got the f- full thing. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> so, um, I'm fascinated about Italian Vogue as oh, a Vogue reader yeah. from the age of twelve. Yeah, um, for me that as well as a woman, I was going to say, but anybody, but it yeah. really is. It's not just any publication. So, how did you come to? Where did that uh, drive come to come from to think, oh, I'm going to apply to... And by the way, I think the work that Zebedee oh, do is it, just incredible. Yeah. Share a little bit about that. It's amazing. Um, so a few years ago, I was literally looking through Instagram um, and I came across Zebedee Management and they were quite new at the time. And I thought, oh, that looks really exciting. Why don't I give it a go? So, and and they are they they all, are all the models. Do they all have some kind? Do you all have some kind of disability? Yeah, um, it is mainly you know disability, and it it range the age range ranges from I guess very young up to any, well any age. So it the covers ins- everyone. Their Instagram. Oh. Page is so inspirational, isn't it? And there's some yeah. incredible images on there. It's amazing. I feel really proud to be part of them. And I think when I joined them, they were quite new themselves. So mm-hmm. it's been nice. I know the ladies, uh, Zoe and Laura, who who runs Ebody, um, I'm quite close to them. So yeah, I do feel really proud of it. And um, what they do now, they're, they're on a campaign every day. Every time I turn the telly on, one of the models is on there or even on TV shows now as well. So really exciting to be part of them. Um, so when I joined them a few years ago, I never thought I'd be in Italian Vogue. And then my first job I got... Say that again. Italian Vogue. <laughs> I'm just going to keep pl- plugging that. <laughs> um, and my first job for Zebedee was actually for River Island. Okay. And that was 
a massive shock as well, just like my Italian book. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really, yeah, I, I was shocked. I was unbel- it was unbelievable. How did you come to terms with seeing yourself? So um, one, one of our family friends, actually, who sadly is no longer with us, but he, he modelled for French Connection. And I can remember walking into French Connection and seeing his picture, yeah. um, walking in at Meadow Hall and seeing yeah. his picture just plastered and thinking, Amazing. my goodness, there's Andrew, what, yeah. you know. And, and as somebody who was close to him seeing that, said, seeing yourself, do you ever get used to that? Yeah, no, I really don't. I, to walk in, me and Phil were in uh, London last year in, on Oxford Street and we went into the River Island there and there was a video um, going on the, a big screen and I was on there and I, I just couldn't believe it was me it didn't feel real that it was me um, but yeah I, I don't know it's something that I never thought I'd do growing up I always loved River Island and if I'd have told myself years ago I'd be you know on the pitch in Oxford Street in, in the main star I, I wouldn't believe him and do you feel your is it about Sarah or do you feel you're representing other amputees when you are out there in such a high profile role um i think it's it is me but then it is representing other amputees i think it's brilliant for other people to see you know that it's okay to be you know on i say on show but um to be seen and to be you i guess um i've got a lot of friends now who are amputees just through over the years meeting them through different events and things and they love to see people like me, I guess, on TV and just makes you feel, you know, I guess there's no normal, is there? But it makes you feel, I guess, normal. Yeah. Absolutely. And I look at your Instagram feed and there's one of the pictures. I think you might have sent me one through to yeah. use for the social media. And here when you've got your sparkly boots on. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't seem to hold you back. No. I don't really want it to like I've there's so much I want to do and I think having had cancer it's kind of I feel like it's given me a second chance and just made me think there's so much I want to do in life and I don't know I feel life is quite short I guess and I want to do it whilst I'm young as well I think because you know you don't know what goes on in well, later life you've do faced you? your own mortality haven't you yeah going through what you have mm. so What's on your wish list then? Oh, so much. <laughs> so my plan for this last year, which didn't happen, was I'd love, I wanted to go to Ibiza for my 25th. I went a few years ago, but I really wanted to go again. So that was my plan. So I'm hoping to go for my 26th now. Next When's August. that? Next August. Okay. So I'm hoping by then Watch we can travel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's only going to be me and Phil, but I've always wanted to go. He likes a bit of a party, so hopefully it'll be good fun. Um, what else am I wanting to do? Yeah, just I want to travel. I want to see more of the world. It's not easy because you go away and you've got to think, right, well, my leg, I need to plug it in on a night. You couldn't just sleep in the middle of nowhere. You've got to think about what okay. you're doing and plan yeah. it and everything. Um, and even, you know, long plane journeys and things, taking my crutches because there's that to think about because when I take my leg off on a night. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah. I have to get about still. Mm. Um, mm. So there's like logistics and there's different things but Phil's really helped me with all that when we've been away and things he's found a way he's just put his crutches on like attach them to his rucksack and off we are or whatever so yeah there's ways around it and I think Phil pushes me and helps me with I do make problems in my head sometimes like oh I can't I can't do that 
but he might just give me that push that I need to be able to do it. Finding a way that yeah, you can do it. Finding a different way, maybe, but still managing to do it. Um, a few years ago, we were in uh, Centre Parks, and there's like a bit of a water park there. And I thought, oh, I can't, I'm just going to stay at the lodge. And was with Phil's friends. I thought, I can't do this. For a start, I don't want people to see me without my leg on. Mm. And secondly, how am I going to get about? But um, he was like, get your crutches. I'll give you a piggyback. Come on, we're going to do it. And I did it, and I loved it. And, I, you know, ever since, I thought, I'm so glad that day that I did that. Um, I just want to ask you something, and I feel awkward asking it you, but I, I yeah. think it's something that many people would. Do you ever get any adverse response? I mean, I would mm. imagine that you're just so positive and and so gorgeous, mm. and there's such a lovely, warm personality. And certainly, when when I saw you speak, mm. and that's why I wanted you as part of the podcast. But yeah. do you ever have any negative negativity? towards you I've been quite lucky really because I haven't had anything um especially on social media I do worry at times you don't know anyone can follow you and you can get any kind of message but I have been generally really lucky and um everyone seems just really supportive I think the hardest thing for me is maybe you know I've walked down the street before and people might have given a second look and depends what kind of people they are you do worry you know what are they saying about you or you know that they're the things that may like have bothered me a little bit over the years, um, especially if I'm going somewhere on my own and you don't know what people are saying. But I generally have, I have been really lucky with all the positive, um, yeah, all the positive that positivity that's come out of like on my Instagram and things. So been lucky really. So just going back to the Laura. Laura Crane yeah. so what are you doing with them because I know you've done some fabulous campaigns mm. I mean you did was it with Key Senior, Key Senior yeah, yeah. tell us brilliant. about that campaign because that yeah. f- for somebody you know able-bodied right at the start it yeah. sounded as such a huge challenge so oh, yeah. it was great so um first of all me and Keith had uh, a photo shoot done um, rugby league isn't rugby it? league yeah. yeah um Keith Senior and it was one of the first times I'd met him. I thought, oh my gosh, he's so tall, um, scary guy. But actually, you know, all he wants to do is help the charity and he's, re- he's really nice. So The photographs from that are superb, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I love them pictures. Out of all the ones I've had done, I feel they're probably one of my favourite. You look so powerful on those. Yeah, it was great. I think we're in the gym and it's like black and white and yeah, I stood next to Keith. I look really strong <laughs> I'll share some um, of those on on Instagram because they yeah, really are so powerful they're great so we did um an event where we um cycled and we got I don't know how many people we thought there'd only be a few of us but they ended up being about 40 people uh we got some cycling clubs on board and things and uh it was a bit of a challenge for me I think and um to raise some money for the charity and we had a great time um I'd love to do something like that again um yeah, it's been difficult this year, I guess, with, it has, hasn't with it? things going on for events. But yeah, I can imagine there's a bit of you won't be beaten. Yeah. If no. somebody puts a challenge to you, I yeah. can't imagine you shirking away from no, it. No, I want to, any challenge. Like I always say now I'm a bit of a yes woman. If anyone's asked me, do you want to do this? It's kind of like, go on, yeah, I'll go for I'll it. have a go. Yeah, yeah, see if I can do it. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I could talk to you all, yeah. all day and... <laughs> The thing, as I say, that that came across to me when I asked you, I mean, it came across when I heard you speak, but 
the word that came across to me when you sent me through the bio is that you're a survivor mm. but you're such an inspiration and such an inspiration but I think the thing that I've taken from the conversation today and watching the clip with Phil is is that line from him mm. that said, it's your leg, it's not you, yeah. and how so easily we can define people, but mm. actually it's just another part of them as a whole being. Yeah. So you've done so much mm. and you've been through so much Sarah what would you say what would you advise your younger self I think I'd advise myself um to just try and live the best life I can so try and say yes to every opportunity that comes along which I have done um try to just enjoy everything because yeah you've been through an awful year and an awful time but that was just a little time of your life and to look forward and yeah try and try and live the best life you can yeah it certainly looks like you're doing that uh -huh. thank you so much for sharing your story today thank you. you're an absolute inspiration to me and I'm sure to many of the listeners so thank you thank you very much thanks for having me <laughs> hope you've enjoyed today's conversation and I'd love you to join in the conversation as well. The best way to do that is through social media and I can be found at Instagram and Twitter at DO underscore impact. If you'd like to sign up for my newsletter or learn more about my monthly membership, the Impact Club, please visit the website at deborahogden.com. enjoyed this episode of on brand with i would so appreciate it if you would rate review and subscribe it helps other people know we exist thanks for tuning in and i'll see you on the next episode thanks for listening to on brand with it was hosted by deborah ogden and produced by me anthony short this has been an a short stories production